Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Father, I need your help. Would you guide my words, protect my thoughts, and would you speak today to us? Anything that's not of you, would it be hidden and forgotten? And anything that would draw us closer, help us to be obedient, would it just stay right in our hearts and minds? In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in this series, I Declare War. And it's, a, it's about declaring war on that version of ourselves that we least want to be. That version that is rebellious and self-sabotaging and has a way of doing things we don't want to do. I have, I have this version of myself that takes me into these dark places and dark moods that sometimes can last for a long time. I have this version of myself that makes the, the work environment a horrible place to be instead of a great place to be. I have this version of myself that says things I don't want to say, eats things I don't want to eat, go, does things I don't want to do. This version of myself that rebels every time I say it's time to go to the gym or eat the salad instead of the burger, it, it just does the wrong thing. And we talked last week a little bit about our thoughts, and I'll come back to that in a second. But today, I want to I shift our thinking and begin with a little story. So when Annie and I first got married, we uh, moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And in Nashville, Tennessee, it was just a different environment. It was the first time, really, that we moved kind of away from any family and um, had some challenges, and it wasn't the healthiest time in our lives. We'll just put it that way. And one of the things we would do um, is um, we, we would eat a lot. I would eat especially a lot. And we, we, had, we would make chili. It was one of the favorite things. It's almost chili season. It should be chili season. It's not chili season. But hopefully it will be by the chili cook-off in November. And back then, we, would, we needed to make things stretch as far as we can. We do that a lot now with as, as our kids are getting older, but um, we would add rice to chili. I don't know if anybody's ever done that, rice or, or even noodles at times, just to make it last longer. And there was this one night, man, I, I, I don't know what the day was, it was cold and the chili was hot and it smelled good and the whole house smelled like when I got home, and I ate a bowl of chili with lots of rice, and then I ate another bowl of chili with lots of rice, and then I think I ate a third bowl of chili with lots of rice. And then I thought, man, I'm just so thirsty. So I grabbed this bottle of water. It was about 32 ounces of water. And I started to drink it as fast as I could. I just was dying of thirst. And I chugged almost that entire bottle of water. And something began to happen inside of me that was not good. Rice expands in water, and it began to expand in my stomach, and I began to feel uncomfortable. Something was not right. I ran into the little half bath that was beside the living room where we were eating and began to explode. Like, it was like a cartoon. I couldn't get my mouth wide open enough for it to come out. And, like, I was aiming at the toilet and the trash can. But it was every. I don't know how it got on the walls 
I mean, it took me an hour to clean up the bathroom after this, like, defilement of the bathroom. You know, as I thought about stories, there were actually lots of times that I've put things in my mouth that I wished I had. There was one time mulberries. <laughs> Our house in Virginia, we had a mulberry tree in the back. And when they first started growing, I ate a bunch of them one night. And, um, and then we went out to a Mexican restaurant, and all the way home, I got really sick. And we won't talk about what that happened, just in case some of you aren't as comfortable with bathroom humor as others, but it was bad. And I thought for sure it was the Mexican food, right? Because Mexican food is going to do that to you every time. So I ate the mulberries again, and it was worse. And these aren't even the worst of these, but the thing I learned as I the stuff I ate in second grade came out of my stomach was this simple truth from scripture. It's not what goes into our mouths that defile us, but what comes out. It's not what we put into our mouths that get us into trouble or this dangerous. It's the words that come out of our mouths that are so very dangerous. When I think about that worst version of myself, that is times when I have self-sabotaged the worst, it was my big, fat, stupid mouth that got me into trouble. Every time, it's my big, fat, stupid mouth that causes problems with Anita. It's my big, fat, stupid mouth that ruins my kid's mood for a night. It's my big, fat, stupid mouth that can cause problems in the office or get me into trouble anywhere. It's my mouth almost every time. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about how to declare war on our words. The words that that worst version of ourselves loves to speak and use and, and ruin our lives with. It's amazing how powerful words are, but they begin as our thoughts. And as we began this series yesterday, or last week, we talked about our thoughts. We talked about how we need to declare war to commit to this battle on our thoughts. And that if we can begin to win this war and create this guard on our thoughts and shift the polarity from negative to positive, that we can see God work. And I'm not going to repeat that message. But the truth of this life is that we're in a war. We're in a war with an enemy the scripture calls Satan who's prowling around like a lion looking for that moment when he can pounce and devour and ruin our day. We're also in a battle with the world around us. Scripture tells us that, that we are like Christ when the world hates us. But even more than that, we are in a battle with ourselves. Our greatest enemy is ourselves. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. The gates of hell are locked from the inside. When it comes to our mouths, we have no way of controlling them on our own. Here's what scripture says in James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Feel free to use your phones, devices, the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. Whatever works. James chapter 3 is toward the end of the New Testament. You can either just listen or read along. Here's what he says. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
Indeed, we'll all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So here's where it begins. Once we get a hold of our thoughts and win this battle for our thoughts, it's our mouths that get us into trouble. It says, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. You felt that maybe in your home or your workplace, one little word, one little phrase, one little sentence that maybe you didn't even mean to come out the way it did, set the whole evening on fire that took sometimes weeks or months to put out. It says, among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. We do understand that from time to time that the biblical authors use hyperbole to get a point across. It doesn't mean your, your, your words are actually from hell. It's this exaggerated, this image of how difficult it is for us to actually control our mouths, how tempted we are to use it in passive-aggressive, sarcastic, just mean ways over and over and over again. It says people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. Is anybody tamed a fish? Reptile? I didn't know you could do that. But no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. After we begin to win that battle for our thoughts, we need to begin to fight the battle, to declare war on our words. I think few of us realize some simple truths when it comes to our words. You can change your mood and your environment by changing the way you speak. You can change your mood and your environment by changing the way you speak. Not only that, you don't have, hear this one, and especially if you are under the age of 25, listen real closely. You don't have to say everything you feel like saying. That was someone just over 25 who's like, yeah, I learned that lesson the hard way. Especially, you don't have to say everything you feel like saying. And another little simple truth that will lead into everything we want to talk to about today is that the person you speak to the most is you. And usually this person you speak to the worst is you. Often you are the one created in the image of God that you are cursing instead of blessing. 
The truth is our words are weighty. They're heavy. It's kind of like, have you ever been at one of those Christmas parties where they do like the, the white elephant gift or, or they, some people call it a dirty Santa game. You put all the gifts to the table and you take turns picking one and trade it. Like you, a lot of people go and they'll, they'll look for the heavy one, right? You're thinking, okay, this must be actually the one good gift at this table, unless it's someone who's just a little bit sadistic and they put a brick in there to make you think it's good. I mean, we're not counting it, but the weightiness, the heaviness, it, it reflects the, the power, the significance, the value of something, the, the weightiness. God's glory, another name for glory is weight. Our words are weighty. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37, it says this, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, overflows from what we're filled with. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. Listen to this. But I tell you, everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. Our words matter. They're heavy. They're powerful. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Our words matter. First, they have an impact on others. Our words have an impact on others. How many of us as adults in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and older, how many of us can remember something that was said to us in middle school or as a child or as a teenager that has affected us for the rest of our lives? Either someone who said, I believe in you, you've got this, you're more capable than you realize, or someone who said, you're nothing, you're not worth anything, you're no one. We've heard those things, and they have an impact on us. The words we use have an impact on others. I was sitting with some folks just this last week, and someone started to say something about me, and it was mostly very nice, and then they said one thing without even thinking that it really was not a big deal. But over the next week, all I thought about was that one thing and not the three good things. Words, even our empty words, the thoughtless words, the words that spill out, the words we feel like we have to say, have an impact. They have an impact on other people. Not only that, Scripture tells us they have an impact on the future. Matthew 17, 20 says that when we speak in faith, that even the mountains move. Words have potential to impact the future. Maybe you've heard phrases like, I love you, and it changed the rest of your life. I believe in you. Will you marry me? You have cancer. I want a divorce. These words have an impact on the future. They move mountains. They change the trajectory of our lives. Lastly, they have an impact on you. I wonder, what are you saying to yourself? What do you say to yourself when you get up in the morning? When you look in the mirror? When you make a mistake? When you do something well? When, when your boss gets on you? What are you saying to yourself? What are you saying to yourself when you walk into a room and there are people who are talking and then they turn and look at you? What do you say to yourself? 
The words that you speak to yourself will have an impact. They have a weight. And sometimes the mountain that needs moving is the one inside of us. And we need to be able to speak truth. We need to be able to speak truth about who we are as children of God. That when we have come to Him, that He puts His Spirit in us. That He looks at us before we do anything good. And He says, your mind... You're my beloved. I'll never forsake you. I've always been with you. I've made you. I've given you purpose. And I've designed you to live free and to have an impact on those around you. You are good. And yet over and over, we say to ourselves, not good enough. Not smart enough. My time has passed. Too old. Too young. I can't. I can't beat this. I can't fix this. I can't do anything about it. This is just the way I am. Just got to deal with it. And we tell ourselves these things that aren't true over and over and over again. And our words have an impact on us. It can be simple. Right? Think about your vehicle. It got you here today. And hopefully it will get you home. And you have a choice. You can look at it and think about all the things that it's not. And how much you want a different one. And that vehicle is going to be just miserable to you. And you're going to feel miserable about it. Or you can be grateful every day for it. You can thank God that it gets you back. If it has air conditioning, you can thank God that it has air conditioning. If not, you'll be thankful it has windows. The choice is yours. And the thing that God allows to happen with our words is that they affect the reality of our lives. They have an impact. They're weighty. In fact, in the Hebrew mindset, the words and the actual thing were so connected that to speak it was to create. We see it all the way back in Genesis. When it says that he, God said, let there be light, it actually in Hebrew is just God said light, and there was light. Words have power. So we're going to declare war on our words today and we're going to talk about four ways to do that that we see in scripture see that God is calling us so that we can fight that version of ourselves that's self-sabotaging and destroying our lives with our words first is we're going to speak up and I don't mean I hope we'll try a different one next time speak up Not like speak loudly or stand up, but we're going to speak up. We're going to speak positively. We're going to speak encouraging. We're going to build people up with our words. Here's what Scripture says in Colossians 4, verse 6. says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. If your words are full of grace and you know, now know how to answer everyone. When the boss is getting on you for something you didn't do, we respond with words that are full of grace. When our kids do something that disappoints us and we're not sure how to respond, we're going to choose to respond full of grace. When our spouse has had a bad day and they, they say something that they didn't really mean and we know that's not how they mean, we're going to assume the best and we're going to respond full of grace. When the server is a smart aleck and men messes up our food too, we're going to respond full of grace. Because let's just be honest, the alternative doesn't work. Right? 
I've told you before, if you've been around, that my junior year in high school, I had more technicals on, than, any, than the whole rest of my basketball team combined. Do you know I never once convinced the ref to change the call? <laughs> Parents, you stand on those bleachers and you're yelling at those refs. Do you know you're actually making it worse on your child? Not better. You yell at that server, you get upset with that server, you're mean to that server, you're eating their spit later. Do you see, I've worked in all those restaurants. They're not going to be nice to you. They're going to put on a smile and pretend, and they're going to bring you back another burger, another steak, whatever, but it's going to have some special seasoning on it. I can guarantee it either hit the floor or something else. You're not going to get what you want out of this. When you respond with words that are empty of grace, full of anger and spite and sarcasm and are passive-aggressive, has that ever made things better in your marriage or in your date relationship or with your siblings? No. You may have intimidated them for the moment to get them to do what you want, which is what we do when we get loud. That's all we're trying to do is intimidate somebody to do what we want. For if we can get louder than they do, they'll back down, and we won. But you only won for the moment. You may have won the argument and lost the friendship, lost the relationship, lost the influence. It's just not worth it. We actually never win when we respond with words that are empty of grace. One of them will work. Um, sorry. Okay, where was I? Ephesians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up. We're going to speak up according to their needs so that it may benefit those who listen. See, it's important. We talked about no unwholesome talk. It's important that what we say is true. It should always be true. We're not flattering. We're not lying. We're not making stuff up. It needs to always be true, but it needs to pass another test as well. Is it helpful? Does it build people up? Will this actually help in my home? Will this actually help in my work? Will this actually help this situation and this person? Does it build them up or does it tear them down? Not everything we feel like saying needs to come out of our big, fat, stupid mouth. So I say, Pastor, but that's how I feel, and I've got to be true to myself, right? Like, our culture is that this whole, like, be true to yourself thing, and I've got to say what I feel, otherwise I'm not being true to myself. And I need to, I've got to say this, I've got to, I've got to get this off of my chest, and like, and, and, and if, listen, if the only person it helps to say this is you, it's probably not all that helpful. And it may not be nearly as true as you think it is in the moment. So instead of thinking about this idea of being true to ourselves, let's just change it just a little bit. Let's be true to the best version of ourselves instead of the worst version of ourselves. Let's be true to the best version of ourselves. So maybe you think... Who do I really want to be? What kind of man or what kind of woman do I want to be? And what would that woman or that man say in this situation? And that's what you say. So here's the second thing we're going to do is we declare war on our words. First, we're going to speak up. And then, this is going to be hard. And it goes back to last week. 
we're going to think first. I remember and still hear it in my head because I think I heard it every single day in my home growing up as my parents said to me, think before you speak. I'm going too fast to do that. Slow down. I want to give you a little tool, a quadrant that might help. It helps me. And the more you do this, the more you'll be able to do it automatically in your brain. But there may take some times that you're in a situation, maybe at work or with your spouse. You say, I just need a minute. And you need to walk away and actually write this out. So a little quadrant. So in this quadrant, what I want you to do is right here in this first block, I want you to write out what you feel like saying in that moment. All right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to write out. We're not going to hold anything back. Get it all right here. Everything I feel like saying right now, every angry word, every passive aggressive thing, every sarcastic thing that comes to my mind, I'm going to write it out. And then I'm going to think. I'm going to imagine what the other person might say in return and where this might take me, right? So we're going to then write the result of what saying what I feel like saying might bring. Will it bring more unity in my home or will it bring separation? Will it mean someone's sleeping on the couch or will it mean a good ending to the night? What will it mean? What will it mean with my kids? Will they walk away more encouraged, believing in themselves and capable of doing the right thing next time? Or they leave beaten up and frustrated and disappointed and angry with themselves? Will my workplace be more harmonious and effective or will it begin to break down? What will happen if I say what I feel like saying right now? And then the result. And as you do that, then the next thing you do is you think, what is the result I want? Right? We have, we're having a little tiff, a little argument in our house. What is it that I want out of this? Well, I want this to end up as one of those makeup nights that things ended up really good. So what is it then that I need to say right now that's still true and still helpful that will lead to this result? So then we work backwards and figure out what I need to say. Not manipulative. Not fake, but true to the best version of ourselves. And for a while, it may take actually writing this out. What I want to say and what the result will be. The result I want and what I should say in this moment. And there will be times we've got to pull away, pull out a napkin, get a piece of paper, and write this down. And actually think through what I need to say in this moment when my emotions are high and my mind is running and I want to say that thing, what do I actually need to say? Now, the more you do this, the more you'll be able to do it in your head just almost instantaneously in every situation. Not saying that in every situation you'll actually say what you should say, but it'll begin to move you in that direction. You'll find yourself self-sabotaging, giving over to the worst version of yourselves less and less and less. Because we're called, we're called, we're called to speak with hope and courage and possibility. 
called to speak what builds people up. Proverbs 4.26 says, Give careful thought to the paths of your feet. Give careful thought to where this will take you. Is this really who I want to be in this moment? Do I want to be that person who can shred people with my words? That can sharpen a dagger and throw it before anybody else has an idea of what to say? Do I want to be known as the one who's intimidating and difficult to work with? Do I want to be the one who gets my way because I just... It's just easier to get along with me than to get onto my bad side? Do we really want to be those people? Does that honor God with our mouths? Is that the version of who we want to be? The third thing we're going to do... So we're going to speak up, think first, and then we're going to speak out. We're going to speak out with gratitude. Not just think it, we're going to speak out with gratitude. We talked last week about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. It says, rejoice always. In every situation, rejoice always. We talked about shifting our focus in those worst situations to be able to praise God. To be able to see all that is good. But the rest of that verse says, give thanks in all things. In every situation, not for every situation or for all things, but in all things, give thanks. Paul writes again to the church in Philippi. And he says this, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, Paul, give us an impossible task. He says, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts. You hear what Paul's saying? He's like, listen, in every situation, when I know you feel anxious, when you're not sure what's going to happen, when you're uncertain, I want you to pray, I want you to speak out with thanksgiving, and he says, this thing will happen, and I don't understand it, and I can't explain it. It's a mystery, but the peace of God that's bigger than anything I can figure out will guard your hearts, and the anxiousness will be replaced with peace. And I can't explain it, but there's something about gratitude in the middle that shifts that. Now, that was Paul writing sometime in the first century A.D. In our century in time, we can explain that mystery, that, understand, that beyond understanding why thanksgiving leads to peace instead of anxiety. In fact, scientists today have been able to study the brains and the effects of actually expressing gratitude out loud, speaking out that for which we are grateful. And the list is huge of the benefits. They include things like greater optimism and happiness, increased self-esteem, heightened energy levels, a strengthened heart, immune system, and lower blood pressure, improved IQ and EQ, emotional intelligence, improved self-care, and improved likelihood to work out, and a heightened ability to see the spiritual reality above and beyond our current situation. Researchers out of UCLA recognize that expressing gratitude, they did research on that expressing gratitude actually changes the molecular structure of our brains. Expressing gratitude changes the molecular structure of our brains. It boosts 
neurotransmitters that release dopamine and serotonin. The, the, they're the, the chemicals in our brain that tell us that we're good, that we're safe, that we're secure, and tells us to do that again. Here's the crazy thing. Prozac does the exact same thing. Prozac is designed to boost the neurotransmitters that release dopamine and serotonin. So does Welbutrin. Two of the main drugs used to deal with anxiety and depression do the exact same thing that Thanksgiving does, that speaking out with gratitude does. And now listen, I'm not saying that there's never a time that you need to be on some kind of drug to help with those issues, but what I'm saying is that we can begin to change the way our brains operate. We can change and shift from that anxious mind to one guarded with the peace of God by speaking out with gratitude, speaking out with gratitude. In 2009, the National Health Institute realized that expressing gratitude will increase your metabolism, improve sleep, decrease depression, and reduces general aches and pains. Simply by speaking out our gratitude. Dr. Alex Korb realized that even the process of thinking about what we're grateful for will start this process in our body. But it's not until we actually speak it out that we begin to see change. You can battle your anxiety by getting up and putting your feet on the floor and naming out loud 10 reasons you're grateful that day. You can begin to set the different tone for your day and change by the way you speak, your mood, your mind, your heart, and even your body. Maybe it's at the end of the day taking out a journal and writing it out. Maybe it's a reminder in your phone that goes off at the same time every day that reminds you to say, tell your spouse or your kids or your coworker something you're thankful for about them, about the situation, about your job. Whatever it is that has you anxious, whatever it is that, that has a tendency to beat you down or cause fear or, or that negativity in you, begin to identify reasons that you are grateful for and it'll begin to change you and you begin to change the situation. There's all kinds of different ways to do this, but as simple as speaking out our gratitude can begin to set us free. Darren Hardy wrote a book called Compound Effect, and I love it. It talks about little things that add up over time. Wealthy, entrepreneur, business owner, coach. One year, he gave his wife a BMW for their anniversary. She loved it. The next year, the next year, he gave her a different gift. It was a gift he began on their anniversary, the day he gave her the BMW. And he took a journal, and every single day, For the next 365 days, he wrote in that journal one thing about his wife for which he was thankful. And on their anniversary the next year, he gave her that journal that contained 365 expressions of gratitude. She said, this gift is way better than that BMW. It means more and has a greater impact on me than anything else you've ever given me. There's power and speaking out our words of gratitude. And here's the last thing we're going to do. We're going to speak in 
We're going to speak up, think first, speak out, speak in. We're going to speak into our own lives. We're going to fire that internal critic. And we're going to hire ourselves as that life coach we wish we had. That one who speaks truth over us. That one who, who will think about what we're going to say. What we want to say and say it to ourselves. And we're going to build ourselves up with what is true and what is helpful and what is good. And we begin to win this war on our words. We begin to end the self-sabotage that's happening in our lives as we speak up and we think first and we speak out. And then we speak into our own hearts and lives. We speak more to ourselves than anyone else. And too often, too many of us are, are speaking so harshly so cruelly, so sarcastically to ourselves about ourselves. We tell ourselves all the time what we can't do and why we can't do it. We tell ourselves all the time about our failures, about our missteps, about our mistakes. We beat ourselves up all night long for that thing we said that day. Instead of making it right and letting it go and moving on. It's time that we fire that critic and begin to hire ourselves as that one who will speak what builds up, what is helpful, and what is true. Every one of us on an average day speaks about 16,000 words. Now, some, some people have claimed that men speak about five and women about 20,000 words. In fact, the research shows less of a difference between men and women on average, but all of us will speak somewhere around 16,000 words a day. That is about, on average, 300, or sorry, 860 million, 341,500 words in a lifetime. And scripture tells us in Proverbs that our words can bring life or death. They are like poison or an antidote. Each word has weight. Each word is powerful. How will you use this powerful gift that God has given you? Will you use it to bring life? Will you use it to be a blessing or a curse on your life and the lives of those around you? Today we declare war on our words. And we begin to win this battle. To be who we were created to be. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? Because we stink of this. I mean, James was right. None of us can control our own tongues. We need your help. We need your help if we're going to speak up. We need your help to slow down and think before we speak. We need your help to speak out and to speak in what is true and what is helpful and what is good and what builds up. God, we join in this battle. We recognize that there is a, a war for our lives, for our marriages, for our homes, for our kids, for our community that is going on every day. And God, we choose to use our words in this battle. We choose to use our words as a blessing and not a curse, as an antidote and not poison. God, would you give us your strength and your spirit to win this battle? As we've declared war on our thoughts, we declare war on our words. And we ask God for your help, your strength, because we know we can't do it on our own. In Jesus' name.
Amen. It was an honor to worship with you this morning. We love you. Enjoy a homemade cookie on your way out, and we'll see you next week.